This morning, we're going to, we're going to continue or we're going to wrap up our series called Dreamer. We've been talking about the fact that every one of us have been created by God with purpose and design and that he places that purpose and design within us and, and uh, that purpose and design causes there to be a longing. It causes there to be a vision of the future for us, but it can be frustrating when you have this vision of the future, when you have this perspective of the future, and yet your life isn't aligning with that dream. And so we've been looking at the life of Joseph. We've been learning some principles uh, from the life of Joseph that helps us to know how to be the kind of people who aren't just starry-eyed dreamers who have a big imagination and talks about all these things that they're going to do and then it never happens in their life, but instead, the kind of people who actually live out their dreams, who actually live out the vision that God has given them. We've learned a lot over the last few weeks, and if you haven't been able to be here, I just want to let you know our messages are on YouTube. You can always go there and uh, check them out, or you can download the podcast and catch up with the series. And if you haven't been here, I would really encourage you to go and do that. We're, we're into the story of Joseph, and last week we learned, about, uh, we learned about the fact that Joseph was in prison again. Um, he had been falsely accused. He was in prison. And uh, when he was in prison, uh, in, in literally uh, the prison uh, that was the royal prison, right? It was Pharaoh's prison. And uh, while he was there, uh, the, the, the guy who was the leader, the lead baker, the guy who was the lead cupbearer to the king um, were thrown in prison because they had offended the king. And because of who Joseph had become and because of his character, uh, because he had not allowed bitterness uh, to destroy his life, he was in a position of authority. Even though he was a prisoner, he was still in a position of authority um, and in that position of authority, he had care over the chief baker and the chief cupbearer. And as a result of who he had become, when they had dreams, he was, able to, uh, he was able to share with them that he couldn't interpret their dream, but that God would interpret their dream. And so he interpreted their dream. And that's where we left off in the story last Sunday. And I want to pick up there uh, because as you, as you think about the story of Joseph you see several themes, you see several repeated patterns, repeated thoughts, and we've talked a little bit about that in the story. And in particular, last week, I pointed out the fact that Joseph had two dreams, and now he was dealing with these two dreams of the, the cupbearer and the chief baker. He responded, he told them, uh, he told them their dreams, and it, it, it worked out really well for one of them because he was going to be restored, and the other one, it didn't work out so well for but the Bible says that Joseph uh, interpreted their dreams, and, and after he interpreted their dreams, one of them went back. In fact, let's pick up in Genesis chapter 40. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23 to you. It says this, Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. When it says he lifted up the heads, in other words, he pulled, he got them out of prison. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. So he called them out in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker. It's bad to be the baker. He impaled the chief. I wonder what that guy did. Have you ever thought about that? 
man, that was bad bread or something. I, I don't know. See, it offended Pharaoh so much that Pharaoh impaled him just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. And then get this, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When they came to Joseph and they said, hey, will you interpret our dream? Joseph says, yes, uh, here's the thing. I can't interpret your dream, uh, but God can interpret the dream. We better hear from God about this because he had already learned when he was 17 that if you tried to interpret your dream on your own, you were going to make a mess of situations. He said, we better let God interpret this dream. Yes, let's let God interpret this dream. And he interprets the dream and he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you the interpretation, but don't forget me. And the first thing that we read is that, that this cupbearer, this cupbearer gets restored. He gets restored to the court of Pharaoh. And the first thing we read is that he forgot Joseph. Maybe that's why he went to jail to begin with. I don't know. Maybe that's the kind of person he was. I don't know. Imagine. Have you ever, have you ever really really, really helped somebody and then found yourself later on needing help? Some of you guys know where I'm going with this. And you thought to yourself, it'll be all right because, you know, I helped so-and-so and surely, surely they're going to help me. And they were nowhere to be found. Some of you just haven't lived long enough yet, apparently. <laughs> Probably all of us have faced situations in our lives that we can point to and we can say, man, I know the pain of being forgotten. Joseph learned the pain of being forgotten. But like, like this pattern of twos in the story, it's very interesting as you continue to read the story of Joseph, because there's a parallel in the story of Joseph of things forgotten. There's a parallel between the pain of being forgotten and the pain of not being willing to forget. The cost of not forgetting. It's so interesting to me as I study this story. Because on the one hand, here Joseph is, and he's helped these guys out. He has served these guys well. He served the cupbearer, and he said, please don't forget me. And yet the first thing that we read after the cupbearer is restored is that he forgot Joseph. And as a result, if you, if you, go, from, if you go to the very next chapter, if you go to the very next chapter, it says that two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. Two stories, two dreams, two years later. It's interesting. Two years later, Pharaoh has, he has two dreams. And he says, I need to find somebody to interpret these dreams for me. And so he calls all the wise men and the magicians of the land. And no one can, no one can remember, no one can explain the dream. And it was in that moment after they had went around, chapter 41, after they went around and tried to find everybody else to interpret the dream. It was only then, two years later, that the cupbearer says, oh yeah, I remember a guy. 
I remember a guy who, when I was having my problem, when you threw me in jail, Pharaoh, when you, when, when, when you were upset with me, I also had a dream, and, and this young Hebrew guy, he interpreted the dream for me. Two years later, he remembered. Every one of us in this room know the pain of being forgotten. And here's, here's what we all have to admit. Sometimes when people let you down or people forget about you, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you can fall into the trap of believing that God has forgotten about you. How many of you have ever felt like perhaps God had forgotten about you? The Bible doesn't say it and, it, and it may not be true. One day when we're in heaven, we can ask him. But I, I wonder what it must have felt like to be Joseph in that prison. You have, you have helped the cupbearer. You know he's back in Pharaoh's house. You, you know that he's prospering again. You know that he's out of danger. He's out of peril. And here you are sitting in prison for two more years. For two more years... You continue uh, to live through the pain of being falsely accused. You continue to live through. He had done every. He had done everything right. And remember, we learned last week that he had transformed and become a different kind of person. And it was only because he was a different kind of person. It was only because he had allowed his pain to do a good work in him, and he became aware of the needs of others that he was able to respond. And even after all of that, it was it was two more years. It was two more years before the cupbearer remembered him. What I love about the story of Joseph is the same thing that we learn in the story of Joseph, we learn over and over and over again in Scripture, is that even when it feels like we have been forgotten, even when it feels like perhaps God has forgotten us, God never forgets. The promise of Scripture that you read over and over, and I was as I was studying for this message, I just came to one story after another, after another, after another, and one uh, set of scripture after another, after another, that demonstrates or declares God is a God who never forgets. I mean, you read the psalmist, there's nothing more raw than the psalmist who talks about his pain and what he went through, and yet he came back to this conclusion over and over and over again, God just doesn't forget me. You read the book of Isaiah, and I, I spent, you, you go read in those, those especially those 40s, that, that, that set of 40s there in, chapter, in Isaiah, as, as God is talking about his, his promise for Israel and his people, Israel being the promised people of God. And over and over and over again, God says, listen, I don't forget you. I, I don't forget you. In one place, he says, how could a, could a mother forget its baby? Of course, a mother could never forget its baby. Like a mother could never forget its baby, I don't forget you. And oh, by the way, even if a mother does forget its baby, I still don't forget you. God is a God who doesn't forget. Joseph being this beautiful illustration for us of walking through the process of dealing with pain and heartache and hardship and yet still believing in a God who doesn't let us go. But, but here's what I've been, I've been so excited about showing you this. Because... As I read the story of Joseph's life, there's so many times that I'm caught up in, man, how, how would have it felt to be in this situation? But, but I, wanted to, I wanted to show you this. Pharaoh had his dream two years after Joseph had interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. Now, what would have happened 
what would have happened if the cupbearer would have, would have come out of prison and said, hey, Pharaoh, oh, by the way, there was this guy who was really nice to me in jail. Could, could we help him out? And Pharaoh was like, okay, he was nice to you. He was good to you. He interpreted your dream. Why should I help him out? Why is he in jail in the first place? Oh, because he's accused of what he did to uh, Potiphar's wife. Pharaoh would have had no reason. Think about this. Pharaoh would have had no reason to let Joseph out of jail. Why would have it mattered to Pharaoh in that moment that Joseph had interpreted the dream of the cupbearer? It wouldn't have made any difference. But two years later, Pharaoh has his dream. I just want I've been, to, I've been dying to say this to you. Is it possible that, that what you and I have perceived as delay is actually God creating demand for what he's deposited inside of us? Think about that for a moment. In the gap, in that two years, between that moment where the cupbearer got out of jail and Pharaoh had his drink, there was no demand, there was no reason for Pharaoh to be kind to Joseph, there was no reason to let Joseph out of jail. But when the time came, now, all of this was in alignment with seven years of blessing and seven years of famine, perfection, that was coming on all matters. Every detail of this story matters. The math matters. The timing matters. When I'm immature and when I believe the world revolves around me, I believe that everything, including God, operates on my timing. But as I mature and become a person of perspective, I realize that I live, that I live in a system of systems that doesn't revolve around me. And that when scripture talks about all things working together for my good, it's not just so I can get a new car or a new suit or a new purse. I don't carry purses, by the way, but you understand the point. When I, when I quote verses of scripture like that, when I'm mature, I understand what that means is that in this system of systems that is the universe in which God is God and I am not, that there's a lot going on. Somewhere out there, there's seven plus seven that's going to matter, that's going to make a difference, that's going to be about God protecting and sustaining his prophetic promise over his people. That's far bigger than me. And I realize that when I'm sitting in jail feeling forgotten, that perhaps the delay that I'm feeling is actually God creating demand for the dream that he's placed inside of me. Some of us want to live out the dream for which there is no demand yet. At 17, we get this dream and it's bigger and it's confusing 
and it's disruptive to our life, and we don't realize. See, it was between, it was from 17 to 30 that God was aligning Joseph to be the kind of person who could administrate the dream, and it was from 17 to 30 that God was creating the process whereby he was going to get Joseph to the dream, and it was in a two-year span from the time that Joseph actualized the capacity that was going to be needed to get him into the position to fulfill the dream. It was two years in which God was creating demand. Some of us are cursing our time, our season, and we don't understand that God is, he's working. He's working on our behalf. Had Joseph been presented to the king, had he been presented to the king immediately after the cupbearer got out, he would have never been elevated, but because there was demand, now there was openness. Pharaoh said, bring me all of the wise people who can interpret dreams. And so they brought him the magicians, they brought him the wise people, they brought him all of these people, they couldn't interpret the dream. And then as he's desperate, it was only because of desperation that he was willing to elevate a Jewish slave in prison who had been accused of attempted rape. Think about that for a minute. Why in the world would Pharaoh listen to a Jewish slave who had been accused of attempted rape? It was because he was desperate. It was because he needed someone who could understand this dream. And so in this moment of desperation, he says, sure, bring him in. And if you read chapter 41, I would encourage you to do that during your daily 20 this week. He brings Joseph in and says, hey, I hear that you can interpret my dream. Now we learn again something about who Joseph is, who Joseph has become. Because the first thing that Joseph says is, I cannot. Think about that for a moment. The kind of character that was demanded of him in that moment. Think about it. Here you are. Here you are. This is your one chance to get out of jail. This is your one chance to prove what you got, to take your shot. This is your one chance to demonstrate your ability and capacity. I, when I set with the Holy Spirit and myself in this story, I, in my honest reflection, have had to ask myself, how would have I responded when Pharaoh asked that question? But remember, two years before, we see that Joseph had already learned. He had already learned who his source was. And so as a result, when he was tested, his character was proven. I don't interpret the dream, God interprets the dream. Now, again, oh, I've been waiting to show you this. This was so important that, that Joseph responded this way. Because after Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh said, okay, that seems, that seems right. We need, we need somebody, we need somebody who can administrate Seven years of blessing and, 
and, and seven years of barrenness. We need somebody who's wise. We need somebody who's capable of hearing from God who can help us. Now get this, Pharaoh was not a believer in Yahweh. Guys, you have to understand this. But Pharaoh was desperate. And what he knew that he needed was he needed someone who could hear from Yahweh because Yahweh was the only one who could explain the dream to him. Pharaoh had all kinds of magicians. He had all kinds of advisors. He had all kinds of wise people around him. But he had learned none of them can help me with this. And so when when Joseph was brought in before him and he said, hey, I hear that you can answer this dream before you, before me. Joseph says, no, I can't do it. God can. And then he proceeded to explain the dream to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's response, well, is if God can tell me that dream, then it must be God who's going to help me know how to ad administrate and work through this process. So I need, I don't need one of those wise men. I don't need one of those magicians. I can't even do it myself. I need a man who can hear from God. Where do I find that guy? It was because Joseph had become the kind of person who in the moment when he was tested, didn't make it all about himself, didn't claim for himself his own capacity, but responded in humility and pointed to God. Even when his life was on the line, even when it was his one shot and one chance, it was because of that correct answer that it triggered Pharaoh, who wasn't even a believer, to say, I, I, need, I need a man that hears from that God. And it, and it seems to me like you're, you're the one I know who's hearing from that God. So here's what I'm going to do, Joseph. Yeah, I know you're a Jewish slave. Um, yeah, I'm aware you've been accused of attempted rape. But when I needed it most, you were the one who could interpret my dream. You were the one who could hear from God. and tell. So here's what I'm going to do, Joseph. I'm going to promote you. I'm going to promote you to be second in command of the, entire, of the entire nation, of the entire kingdom. Yeah, I know you're a prisoner. Yes, I understand that you've been accused of attempted rape. I understand your past, where you've come from. But here's what I see in you. What I see in you is that you hear from God, and I need to hear from God, so I'm going to pull you close. Do you understand that it was all of these little pieces of the story that put Joseph in the position? Remember the dream from when he was 17 years old. The dream when he was 17 years old was that he was going to be elevated and, and that, his, that all of these things were going to come and he was going to have all this power and all of this authority. And he was in this process moving from power and authority to less power, less authority, less identity. And yet all the time God was building power and authority and identity within him that had nothing to do with him. And in the moment when he was tested, he is so emptied of himself that he said, no, it's not me, it's God. And because he answered, no, it's not me, it's God, Pharaoh said, yes, that's exactly what I need. 
I don't need a man who elevates himself. I need a man who hears from God. Pharaoh says, I don't even know. I'm not even a believer. I don't know what that means, but I know that's what I need. God had created demand within Pharaoh, and then he called on that demand. And Pharaoh, not even a believer, responded to that demand. And because of that, where did it put Joseph? Well, it put Joseph exactly in that place of power. Chapter 41 says that he was elevated. He was put in charge. He was put in charge of, of everything. And just as, just, as he had, just as he had interpreted the dream, there were seven years of blessing and there were seven years of famine. And I want to I read something to you because we see these dreams and we see these things that, that Joseph walked through and feeling forgotten and yet we understand that, that God didn't forget him. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 41, um, verse 50, I, I'm just reading down during the, um, during the years of blessing, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph, verse 51, named his firstborn son Manasseh and said, it is because God, get this, God has made me forget all about my trouble and all my father's household. Verse 52, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So on the one hand, you have the tension in this story of feeling forgotten and yet Joseph's life demonstrates for us that we are not forgotten and that when we're feeling forgotten, we have to understand that God is still working on our behalf. We're not forgotten. Maybe we don't know it. Maybe we don't understand it. Maybe he's creating demand in our delay. Maybe he's aligning us with the person. He, we, don't, we don't understand. God never forgets, though. However, intention of what's not forgotten is the fact that there are some things in life that we must forget so that we can move on. Joseph, during the years of blessing, again, he's living out. The, the dream's still not fulfilled. He's living out the, the place that God had brought him into, and he has a son, and his firstborn son, Manasseh. God is a God who helps. He helps me to forget my pain. He helps me to forget what's happened to me. I love this tension in this story, things that don't need to be forgotten, and yet th there are things that need to be forgotten so that I can move on. Joseph had to forget so that he could move on. You say, Pastor, how do you, how do you know that? Well, it's because the dream still hadn't been fulfilled at this point. You continue to read chapter 51, chapter 52, as the famine comes and the seven years of famine comes, the Bible says that his family starts to suffer, and so they go, they go to Egypt to get food. And when they go to Egypt to get food, Joseph, as the governor, the person in charge of all of that's going on, he sees his family. When you read it in chapter 52, he sees his family, and all of a sudden, it all comes flooding back. It all starts, it all starts flooding back what his brothers had done to him. The Bible says he remembered what his brothers had done. He remembered the dream. He remembered how they treated him in light of the dream. 
And in that moment, he had to choose his response. And I love, I love the authenticity of scripture because it shows us his process, his emotional process of dealing with what had happened to him. And some of us, we love to read these stories and Again, we love to make ourselves the hero in the story, and we say, oh, yeah, I would have probably, I would have probably done that too. I would have forgiven my brothers and just moved on. But some of us, if we were real, real honest, and we had a chance, if we had a chance, if the if the role had been turned upside down. Remember, he was powerless in the pit. Now he has all of the power. He could have done whatever he wanted to do to his brothers. He could have said, I remember exactly what you did to me, and I'm gonna take you out. I'm gonna make you suffer. I'm gonna put you in a pit. I'm gonna put you in a place to experience the pain that I experienced. I, I have to be honest enough that, to know that if this story was written about me, it, it, it probably wouldn't have gone the same way as it went about Joseph. Yes, he went through a process, but because of Manasseh, because he had allowed the Lord to help him to forget, because of the healing that God had brought into his life when he was confronted with the people who had hurt him, instead of repaying evil for evil, instead of doing to them what they had done to him, ultimately, he walks through a process of restoration with his brothers. And I'm not going to read it all to you. We don't have time to do it. Again, I'd encourage you to do it during your daily 20. But he goes through a process of having them to return um, to him, not just them, but to bring his father and the entire household. And ultimately, the dream... The dream that he had dreamed, which was a type of what would happen, ultimately came to pass. But it was only possible because Joseph had been willing to forget. I'd like to submit to us today that there are some of us in this room who have dreams. There's things that God has placed inside of us. And along the way, on the long the way to that dream, there's things that have happened in our life. And those things are painful and terrible. And as we talked about last week, God even has used those things to shape us and to develop us. But for some of us, for some of us, our unwillingness to forgive, our unwillingness to forget has caused us to get stuck. And so as a result, when the moment comes for us to step into the greatness of the identity that God has for us, instead of being capable, instead of being capable of rising above our pain and rising above our addiction and rising above abuse and rising above moments that defined us, instead, we repeat the pattern, we stay in the place stay in the place of repaying evil for evil. We stay in the place of being exactly what others have said about us. We stay in the place of the abused becoming the abuser who then creates another abused who becomes an abuser. 
We stay in the place of repeating the cycle. And we wonder, why am, why am I not fulfilling the dream? Why am I not accomplishing all that's in my heart? Is it possible? Because there are some things that you need to be willing to forget. Scripture teaches us that justice is not in your hands. It's in God's hands. I'm just letting that sink in for a moment. Because here's what I know to be true. When your dignity has been stolen, injustice, when injustice has been committed against you, our natural human response is to say, no, I'm going to take that back. When I get the chance, I'm going to take that back. But Joseph had become clearly the kind of person that understood that it was all God's and not his. And so in that moment, even though it caused him to be emotional, even though it was painful for him, in that moment, he had to choose. Well, I use the power and the authority that I have to execute justice? Or will I forget? Will I surrender? Will I follow the pattern of Yahweh, of God, who has chosen grace and mercy and love with me? I wonder how often I have self-sabotaged the destiny that God has for me. How many times I have self-sabotaged the dream because I've held on to things that I needed to let go of. I love the truth, as I mentioned in the story, because it wasn't, when, when Scripture says that he named his son Manasseh because God allowed him to forget, it didn't literally mean that it was erased from his memory, because the Scripture says when he saw his brothers, it all, it all came flooding back. What it was meaning was that he was able to release its power over him. He was able to become the kind of person that was no longer controlled by the pits in his life. He was the kind of person who said, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to demand my own way. I don't, I don't need to enforce justice because God is just. I don't need to see others suffer to make my suffering better. There's nothing I can extract from them that repays the debt that I'm owed. That's the, that's the, problem, with, that's the problem with bitterness. Is bitterness just creates a debit in our soul that can never be filled. Bitterness just becomes death to our soul, a bottomless pit. Joseph walked through a process of restoration with his brothers. His father came just as, just as that dream had told him, his father came. And Joseph not only lived out what the perception of the significance of the dream, but he actually lived out what the dream was about, which was protecting, protecting God's people. God blessed his people through Joseph's obedience and Joseph's process. And the story of, of, of Joseph being used by God to protect his people just continued through all of Scripture. 
And as I mentioned to you earlier in this series, it culminates because Joseph is a picture of Christ. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read, and I'm sorry this isn't on the screen because it's so powerful. Maybe you write it down and go read it later. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, it says this. What then shall we, shall we say in response to these things? Paul's writing the church at Rome that is being unbelievably persecuted. What do, what do we say in response to your pain? What do we say in response to the fact that the, you've given your life up for Jesus? These people at this point have given their life up to follow this rabbi Jesus. And as a result, you're being hung upside down on crosses. You're being chased down and murdered. What do we say in response to all of this? Then he says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Guys, please understand, this isn't, this isn't a bumper sticker. This isn't a flippant word that we post on a meme because ESCOM turned off the power and it irritates us. It's more than that. These words are coming from people whose lives were at stake, who had lost spouses and children and friends to murder and persecution. These weren't shallow, empty words because the restaurant burnt your food. These weren't words related to whether or not you you had the money to buy the latest phone. No, this was coming from people who had experienced deep soul hurt. And when we make these words cheap, when we make them cheap, we rob them of their power to bring healing to people in our community who do experience suffering. We can't make them cheap. If God is for us, who can be against us? He was writing this to people who were living in Rome. Rome, the rulers, the greatest political power in the world was against them, was hunting them down like dogs and killing them. These aren't shallow, cheap words. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The all things they were talking about was not a new Mercedes. The all things they were talking about was the ability to go to bed at night and not be afraid that Roman soldiers were going to burst in the room and take your children and make them slaves and drag you into the street and impale you in the front of everybody. That's what they were talking about. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ, Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples when Jesus was arrested and was taken into Roman custody 
and was crucified. Remember, they thought that he was the Messiah who was going to bring an end to the military rule of Rome. Imagine the confusion. They're dreaming about this Messiah who's going to come, who's going to bring this deliverance. And now this Messiah has been arrested by Rome and has been imprisoned and is being crucified. Imagine the crisis of faith that would have existed inside of them and the confusion about the dream. Imagine what it would have felt like. God, did you forget? God, did you forget this promise that you had made to us? They understood it because for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people had been crying for a Messiah to come built up within the heart of every one of those disciples when Jesus, if you wanna understand why were, those, why were those people willing to follow Jesus, it's because built up within them was not two years, but hundreds of years of delay, waiting on the dream, waiting on the promise. And when Jesus came, they thought, this is finally it. This is finally it. Just like when Joseph gave his dream interpretation to the cupbearer, this is finally it, I'm gonna get out of jail. And then there was two years, these guys are experiencing the crashing down of the dream and the promise. Imagine what it must have felt like. God, you, you've forgotten. But then, after he's crucified and is raised from the dead three years later, then all of a sudden they realize, wait a second, I'm a part of a systems of systems. I'm a part of a kingdom that doesn't, that doesn't surround me. And God's at work and there's things that I don't understand. And there's things that was unclear to me a week ago and it's clear to me now. I have perspective because I have maturity because I've lived a little. And it was that group of people who started a movement that planted a church in Rome that when these people were under severe persecution, it was that group of people who were able to say, hey, it doesn't matter how I'm accused. It doesn't matter what happens to me. God's got this. He's in control. It's those those people from that church and that mindset that says, hey, you know what? In spite of what's happening right now, um, Jesus who died and even more so rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. Get this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They understood. They understood. May, we may be persecuted. We may feel forgotten, but God doesn't forget. We may not understand, but God is working this out. And this dream isn't about me. It's about him. He's the king. It's his kingdom. And because it centers on him, 
I can have confidence and trust that it's going to work out. Paul writing the church at Rome says there's some things we just have to let go of. Can't control it. Can't control it, so I'm not going to let it control me. You can't control things that have happened to you in your life. The question is, are you going to allow it to control you? A dreamer who's unwilling to forget. A dreamer who's unwilling to release. A dreamer who's unwilling to forgive is allowing is allowing those things to continue to control them. And as long as they allow those things to continue to control them, they'll never be free to live out the dream. And so today, we're considering things forgotten. The first thing is, you're never forgotten. And just as the church at Rome understood, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for you. He's not forgotten you. In fact, he's working all things out for your good. So the first thing is, you're not forgotten. The second thing is, as we talk about things forgotten, there are some things that you and I have to forget. We have to release. Because if we don't, if we don't, it will not be in the place to live out all God has for us. You can't control everything. You can't control many things, but you can decide what will I allow to control me. 